0: Father, that that last song that we sung challenges us to to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way that we can do that is if we believe that he really is who he said he is, that that he really did what your word said he did, and that he will really accomplish what he promised he would accomplish for us if we would trust in him. So, Lord, as we go to your word, may you plant faith within us may you strengthen the faith that you have given us and lord we trust that you will supply the faith we need to keep following tomorrow when we wake up to a new day and facing new trials lord we thank you that uh, that ultimately it is you who who grants us faith and sustains our faith and it is by that faith that we can follow our lord jesus in his footsteps and so we pray that you would strengthen us our faith in you through your word as we look at it together in jesus name amen well let's take our bibles and we'll open up to galatians chapter 3 we're looking at the first three verses this morning galatians chapter 3 and i'm going to start reading from chapter 2 verse 20 And we'll go all the way through 3, verse 5. So start chapter 2, verse 20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, Then Christ died needlessly. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Experience, personal experience, does not determine what is true, but it does confirm what is true. For an example, Psalm 127 And verses 3 through 5 says, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed or how happy is the man whose quiver is full of them. Obviously, before I had kids, I did not experience the joy of having kids because I didn't have them. And so I had not experienced the truth of what that psalm says. And when I got married, I honestly wasn't sure if I would be the kind of dad who would enjoy having kids or if I would just be begrudging the fact that I did have kids. But I knew what God's Word said, and I believed that it was true, even though I hadn't experienced it. And believing it was true, I I didn't kick back, or I didn't kick against once I got married having kids my wife and I we have three kids now and now I have experienced what the Word of God says about the blessedness of having children and having experienced it my faith in what the scriptures say has been confirmed I believed it before but I really believe it now so experience confirms what the truth says Paul here in Galatians 3, verses 1 through 5, is appealing to the personal experience of the Galatians to encourage them to keep believing that the gospel that he preached to them is the true gospel. In Galatians chapter 2, we've just finished up Paul uh, rehearsing for these Galatians what he went through in his discussion with Peter. Remember that conflict with Peter that he had in verses Uh, 15 through 21 of chapter 2, Paul, through recounting that to the Galatians, was doing two things. First, he was continuing to show that his apostleship did not come from the other apostles. The gospel that he preached did not come from the other apostles. Jesus himself commissioned Paul to be an apostle, and Jesus himself taught the gospel to Paul. If Paul was... Subservient or dependent on the other apostles, he never would have encountered Peter the way he encountered him in chapter 2. So that was the first thing Paul was doing by giving that account of that conflict. The second thing he was doing was wanting the Galatians to look in on that conflict and learn from that conflict. And the main verse that I'm sure Paul really wanted the Galatians to key in on was chapter 2. And verse 16. Do you remember what Paul said in chapter 2, verse 16? He said, "...nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified." Paul, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 18, is going to prove that statement. And in verses 1 through 5, he's going to begin proving that statement by appealing to the personal experience of the Galatians. Now, I had said personal experience doesn't determine what's true. So why is Paul appealing to their personal experience to help them see the truth of the gospel? Well, as I said, though personal experience doesn't determine what's true, it does do what? Confirms what is true. And the Galatians were true believers. They had believed in the gospel. And because the gospel is true, they had experienced the gospel. And that was an experience that they could not easily deny. And so even though they've been duped by the Judaizers preaching a false gospel to them, Paul is counting on the fact that as he asks them these five questions in this passage, they are going to recall their experience of the gospel and wake up to the fact that the Judaizers are deceiving them. As we go through these five verses, we here today are going to learn five practices that will cause us to reflect on our own personal experience of the gospel and reflect on it in a way that confirms our faith and encourages us to persevere in the faith. So the first practice that we're going to learn that, that we need to adopt to confirm our faith is what we find in verse 1. We are to recall the gospel's clarity. As believers, we are to recall the clarity of the gospel. Look at verse 1. Paul says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Paul's pretty blunt here, is he? He's not sugar-coating it. He's saying, you foolish Galatians. And the word for foolish, he's not primarily talking about their intellectual ability. He's not writing to idiots. He's writing to people who have a brain, who can think. It's not an intellectual problem. It's a moral problem. It's a spiritual problem. Their folly is not intellectual, it's, it's moral, it's spiritual. And Jesus actually took up this language in rebuking his own disciples. Turn back with me to Luke uh, chapter 24, where we see Jesus use this word. This is after Jesus has risen from the dead, and he encounters two men on the road to Emmaus, and he strikes up a conversation with them, and they're so downcast, they're depressed, he asks, what's the matter? They say, you know, there's this guy, Jesus, who we thought was going to be the Messiah, and now he's been crucified. And they're upset, they're downcast, because their hopes for this man had been dashed. But what does Jesus say to them in verse 25 of Luke 24? He said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. These two disciples, they weren't dummies. Their folly was not an intellectual folly. It was a slowness of heart to believe kind of folly. And it's the same problem with the Galatians. Paul here in verse 1 of chapter 3 in Galatians, he's evidently still surprised. Remember, he began the letter with a word of surprise back in chapter 1 and verse 6. He said, "'I am amazed.'" that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Well, apparently he has not gotten over his surprise because he says, who has bewitched you? There's something inexplicable about what has happened to the Galatians. They had firmly believed in the gospel and no sooner did Paul leave but that he hears that they are sliding away from the gospel. It wasn't a slow gradual deviation, it was just like a drop-off a sudden drop and it's just not one church in Galatia it's it's all the churches in this province of Galatia they are all succumbing to this false gospel and and Paul he's saying who's bewitched you it's like someone cast a spell upon these Galatians to cause them to suddenly not see clearly what they had seen clearly and they had seen the gospel clearly that's what Paul says in verse 1. He describes the Galatians as who? Those before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Uh, Turn back to Acts 13 with me. I want you to see how clear Paul was in proclaiming Christ crucified. When Paul and Barnabas went on that first missionary journey and they spread the gospel, they weren't going in back alleys and and whispering about the gospel. Uh, They weren't being confusing in how they were talking about the gospel. No, they were proclaiming Christ, putting him up, if you will, on billboards throughout the cities that they went to. In Acts 13, uh, we find Paul and Barnabas coming to the first city of Galatia that they would come to, the city of Antioch in Pisidia. And they went to a synagogue, And they preached the gospel in that synagogue. And in that sermon, Paul proclaims Christ as crucified and as risen from the dead. And he also talks about justification by faith. Look at uh, verse 38 of Acts 13. He says, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him, through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes, there's faith, is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. So right there he says, you can't be forgiven through the law of Moses. You can only be forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, maybe he only whispered, maybe he only uh, told this to a few people. Maybe the word didn't get out. Maybe the Galatians were confused because, you know, they weren't there to hear that. Well, let's go down to verse 42. We see in verse 42 that Paul and Barnabas are invited back to that synagogue to preach. Now look at verse 44. The next Sabbath, how many people showed up? Yeah, the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. Well, maybe maybe Paul and Barnabas kind of messed up the message when they got this second opportunity. No, that's not what happened. Look at verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, glorifying the gospel. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And when you go into chapter 14 and you see Paul and Barnabas go to these other Galatian cities, there's every indication that Paul and Barnabas were just as clear and just as bold as they were before. So the Galatians, they got the message loud and clear, and they had understood it loud and clear to the point where they were rejoicing, they were glorifying the gospel, and they were believing. But now, as Paul sits down to write this letter, these same Galatians are wondering if they need to get circumcised to really be forgiven. Do you see how bewildering that is to Paul? He's pulling his hair out. Do you see the deceitfulness of sin? How bewitching a thing false teaching is. It puts a blindfold over your eyes and you don't even know it's happened. You think you're going in the right direction when you're going in the completely wrong direction. It's like Eve in the Garden of Eden, you know, surrounded by the glories of that freshly created world, all the delights of the garden that were available to her, unrestricted access to communion with God. But then Satan comes and tells her, hey, you can be just like God. And there's this one tree that he doesn't want you to eat from, but that's the most enjoyable tree to eat from. And it's as though she goes blind to all the blessings that God had given her. How do we prevent ourselves from going blind unknowingly? We do it by holding in front of our eyes Christ crucified. We we do it by proclaiming to ourselves the clear and simple gospel. That's how we keep ourselves from being bewitched. The gospel is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So, recall the gospel's clarity. The second practice that we need... To do in order to have our faith confirmed and to stimulate us to, to keep persevering in the faith is this. Remember how you received the Spirit. Remember how you received the Spirit. Look at verse 2 of Galatians 3. Paul says, This is the only thing I want to find out from you. In other words, it's as though he doesn't need to pile on any more arguments this just this one question if they answer this one question he's confident that that will be enough to wake them up to the deception that they've fallen for he says this is the only thing i want to find out from you did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith that's his question and that that if they answer he thinks that'll wake them up Did you, how did you receive the Spirit? How did you receive the Spirit? The Spirit's presence in the life of the believer is the distinguishing mark of a believer. The distinguishing mark of a believer. Having the Holy Spirit. Paul speaks of their reception of the Holy Spirit as a past event. It's not something they were waiting for. It's something that had already happened. And there's no indication when Paul asks this question that there are some who experienced it and some other believers who are still waiting for it. No, it happened in the past, and it happened to them as a whole. So Paul's not asking if they received the Spirit. He's asking them, how did you receive it? How did you receive it? You see, there's, there's no true believer in Christ who does not have the Holy Spirit. Turn with me to uh, Romans 8, just to prove that to you. Romans 8 chapter 9 Paul says, however you writing to the Roman believers, you are not in the flesh but in the spirit if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now notice what he says, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong To him, to be a Christian is to have received the Spirit. If you have not received the Spirit, you are not a Christian. So Paul is writing to Christians here. He's writing to believers, and he's asking them, how did you receive the Holy Spirit? And how do we know that we've received the Holy Spirit? Well, Paul, in chapter 2, verse 20, tells us how how he was experiencing that reality. What did he say back in chapter 2, verse 20? He says, I, that is the old Paul, have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I, the old Paul, who live, but Christ lives in me. That is how you know you've received the Holy Spirit, that you're not a slave to sin anymore, but that you can finally begin following God. That's how you know you've received the Spirit. And that had happened to the Galatians. Now when Paul asked them how they received the Spirit, what is he expecting their answer to be. He's expecting them to say, well, we received the Spirit when we believed. It wasn't when we got circumcised. It wasn't when we observed the Sabbath. It wasn't when we fulfilled the Ten Commandments. No, we received the Spirit when we believed. That's the answer Paul expects them to give. And the same thing is true for us as believers today. We receive the Spirit through hearing with faith. That's what he He says right there in verse 2, Did you receive him by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? We so often turn conversion into this mechanized sort of thing. You know, we have the, the pianist play the music soft and slow as I deliver the message, and then I'll either say, you know, every eye closed, every head bowed, pray this prayer with me. Or I'll say, get up out of your seat, Come down the aisle up front and pray this prayer after me. We turn it into this ritualized, mechanistic sort of thing. But Paul says, did you do it or did you receive the Spirit by works or by just hearing with faith? Very simple. Very simple. There's a beautiful depiction of this in Acts chapter 10. Turn back to Acts chapter 10. This is uh, when Peter preaches the gospel for the first time to the Gentiles, and specifically to Cornelius and his family. And in verses 34 through 43, Peter preaches the gospel to these Gentiles. And I want to start reading from verse 44. It says, While Peter was still speaking these words, so he hasn't even finished his sermon." While he was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were doing what? Listening to the message. Verse 45. All the circumcised believers, the Jews, believing Jews, who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit, just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then in chapter 11, Peter uh, recounts this event to the believers in Jerusalem. And I want you to notice how he describes it. Uh, Chapter 11, verse 15, Peter says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as he did upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also, after doing what? Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that could stand in God's way? How did Cornelius and his family receive the Holy Spirit? They didn't do anything. They were just sitting there, they heard the gospel, And while they were sitting there, they believed and they received the Holy Spirit. And that's how it is with us. We receive the Spirit not by doing anything, but simply whether it was you sitting in a pew one Sunday and hearing the gospel or reading a tract or having your Bible open, reading the gospel, or just thinking about the gospel that you'd heard. That is you hearing the gospel but at some point, for the first time, your heart responded to that message with faith. Inside, you, you felt this was true. I want this. I don't want to live in my sin anymore. I want to follow God because I know this is true. At that moment, you received the Holy Spirit. Your old man or your old woman died, and you became alive in Christ. And you received the Holy Spirit by simply hearing and believing. So remember how you received the Spirit. Don't be tricked by someone who says you have to do something to get saved. No, when you heard and believed, you received the Spirit and you were saved. It's as simple as that. The third practice that we need to do to confirm our faith, encourage the faith that we have and stimulate us to keep believing, is we need to realize the Spirit's significance. Realize the Spirit's significance. Look at verse 3. Paul asks, again very bluntly, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected or completed by the flesh? The two verb, or two of the verbs in that verse, begun and perfected or completed, those same two words show up in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. There Paul says, I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it or complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The same one who begins the work is the one who completes the work. And Paul is saying, are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? It's like in the Kentucky Derby. Pretend you're a jockey in the Kentucky Derby. And the horse you're riding is the Michael Jordan of all horses Which is who? Secretariat. Yeah, secretariat. And you you burst out of the gates, and you round the first turn. You come, and you round the second turn, and by the time you come off that second curve, you're ten lengths ahead. If, as you're going down that straightaway, you look to your right, and you see a a dead horse laying in the track, are you going to think, I've got a lead here? I'm, I'm winning. I need to hold on to this lead. Let me get off a secretariat. Let me get on that dead horse. Let me beat that thing all the way to the finish line. No, that'd be the dumbest thing in the world, wouldn't it? But that is what Paul is saying the Galatians are considering doing. They've begun by the Spirit. And he says, are you so foolish as to get on the horse of your dead flesh and get yourself to heaven when you've got the Holy Spirit of God? By them thinking I need to get circumcised, I need to do the works of the law, they are drastically underestimating the significance of the Holy Spirit in their life. By asking this question, Paul is helping them to see that receiving the Spirit is not one box among many boxes to check on your way to getting qualified to enter into God's kingdom. No, receiving the Spirit is the whole enchilada. That is, that is it. Let's go back to Ezekiel. When you read the Old Testament prophets and they talk about the kingdom of God, one of the primary features of the coming kingdom of God is the presence of the Holy Spirit in the lives of God's people. Let's look at Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36 and verse 22. This is Ezekiel prophesying to the exiles from Israel about how God's going to restore them to the land when he sets up his kingdom. Verse 22, uh, God tells Ezekiel, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring, them, or bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers, so you will be my people, and I will be your God. The kingdom of God that's coming will be characterized by this, that the citizens of that kingdom have the Holy Spirit of God inside of them. And being such, they are the people of God. In Galatia, among these churches, the Judaizers were basically saying in order to become a citizen in God's kingdom, you have to obey the law of Moses. And Paul, by asking this question, is reminding them, hey, you've already got the Spirit of God. You are already a citizen of God's kingdom. There's nothing more you can do to become a citizen. There's nothing you need to do to become more of a citizen of God's kingdom than you already are. The Judaizers telling the Galatians that they need to get circumcised in order to become a citizen of God's kingdom would be like you telling me that I need to get an American flag tattooed to my forehead. My response to you is, I was born here, man. I have a birth certificate. And it's the same with us as believers. If someone says you got to do this and this to become saved, to receive the Spirit, to enter God's kingdom, all you got to say is, the Spirit birthed me into the kingdom, right? Whoever is born again can see the kingdom of God and enter the kingdom of God. The Spirit birthed me into God's kingdom, and he gave me faith to believe in Jesus. And when I believed in Jesus, the Holy Spirit then entered into my life. He's my birth certificate, of, if you will, of my citizenship in that coming kingdom, which is why Paul repeatedly says that the Holy Spirit is the what? Of our inheritance. You remember? Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 13. Says in in him in Jesus. You also after listening to the message of the truth. The gospel of your salvation. Having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Who is given as what? As a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. So realize the spirit's significance. The spirit that you received once you believed on the Lord Jesus is not some add-on. He is the essence of your citizenship in the coming kingdom. He will carry you there. Keep believing in Jesus. The fourth practice that we need to do to have our our faith confirmed um, as we seek to remember how we've experienced the gospel is what we find in verse 4. Regret none of your suffering for Christ. Regret none of your suffering for Christ. Paul asks his fourth question in verse 4. He says, Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. By asking this question, he's reminding them of their recent past suffering. These Galatians, when they believed in Jesus, they suffered persecution. And they endured it. They counted Jesus as worth suffering for. And Paul is asking them, are you really going to throw all of that away because you've heard this false gospel from these Judaizers? Would they, after suffering what they suffered, would they give up Christ now? After having suffered for him? If they thought he was worth suffering, do they think he's not worth it now? Paul tacks on this this phrase at the end of verse 4. He says, If indeed it was in vain. That's a statement of this hopeful doubt. He doubts that they actually will walk away from Christ. He doesn't really believe that that's what they're going to do. Uh, and Over in chapter 5, we actually see Paul express confidence that they will persevere in their faith. Look at uh, chapter 5 and verse 10. What does Paul say there? He says, I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view. And we think, well, how can Paul have confidence? He's just twice in the passage we're looking at called them fools, basically. How can he have any confidence that these guys are going to figure out that the, gosp- the quote-unquote gospel that the Judaizers are telling them is false? How can he have any confidence? Well, it's because our perseverance in the faith ultimately doesn't depend on our ability or our courage or, or our devotion. It ultimately depends on the one who's sustaining our faith, which is why Paul is careful to say in chapter 5, verse 10, I have confidence in you, in the Lord. In the Lord. That's why he's confident. And that's why he expresses this hopeful doubt uh, in verse 4 of chapter 3. Pretend you're, you're, you went to a marathon. You've got a friend running in that marathon. And you, you pick a spot uh, at the 26th mile marker. And you see your friend running, stumbling, falling, getting back up, and then just collapses right in front of you and says, hey, I I think I'm gonna stop. I'm worn out. It really hurts. I think I'm gonna stop. And you'll say, you got .2 miles left to go. You suffered all that. You ran all that 26 miles because you thought it was worth it to cross that finish line. Did the, the, the value, did the worth of that goal change? No, it didn't. So get up and run those .2 more miles and cross the finish line. And when Paul tells these believers, did you suffer so many things in vain? You know, he's, he's, he's stimulating their minds to think about Jesus was worth suffering for. Did he stop being worth it? No, he's still worth it. Did the value of the gospel change? No, it didn't. So keep believing in the gospel. And so for you and me, when temptation comes, don't be a prisoner of the moment, you know. Don't say, oh, it's getting really hard, or this this message I'm hearing from this other teacher sounds like maybe I, I miscalculated in following Jesus. Stop a minute, pray, think about what you've suffered, think about why you suffered that, how Jesus was worth doing that, and remind yourself, that's why I was following him, that's why I need to keep following him. So don't regret your past suffering for Christ. Let it remind you of how worth it Jesus is to believe in to the very end. The fifth and final practice that we need to do to remind ourselves of, of this gospel experience that we've had so that our faith would be confirmed is, in verse 5, we need to react against works righteousness. React against works righteousness. Look at verse 5. Paul says, So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and work miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? It's kind of like a summary question. He sums up his other questions with, with this one question. And the difference of this question from the others is that he describes who God is what kind of God God is. He describes God as the one who provides you with the Spirit. He describes God as the one who works miracles among these Galatians. And when, when Paul uh, says that God provides you with the Spirit, he's reminding them that the Spirit they received didn't come from nowhere. God sent the Holy Spirit into their lives. And when he references miracles. Uh, He's either talking about how when Paul came and preached the gospel, Paul probably performed the signs of an apostle. God would accomplish miracles through the apostles in order to authenticate the gospel message they were proclaiming. Or he could mean the gifts of the Spirit that God bestowed upon the Galatians, the ability to work miracles that the Spirit enabled them to do. Either way, it was from God. God did it among the Galatians. And the question that Paul is asking is, why did God do that among you? Why did God send you the Spirit? Why did he work miracles among you? Was it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? In other words, did God do that for you because you earned it? Did you perform the works of the law and earn a wage and God was obligated to give you his spirit and to do these miracles among you? Or did he simply do it by his grace through faith? And the true believer, if the true believer's in his right mind, how does the true believer react to any suggestion that he's earned something from God? He's going to kick back against that. There's going to be a measure of disgust in the heart of the believer. No, I didn't earn that. I deserve the wrath of God. It's only His mercy and grace through faith that He did that for me. So, as these Judaizers say, hey, you got to do this, and you got to do this, and then you got to do this in order to get saved, He wants them to react against that with disgust, which is how you and I need to react anytime someone suggests that we need to do something to earn something from God. So those are the five ways that we can draw on our past gospel experience to confirm our faith, that this gospel is true and we should keep believing it. And the gospel is true. And as true, it's going to be experienced, right? If I go out into the parking lot and... One of you just steps on the gas and runs me over, but you didn't quite hit me good enough, and so I get up and I come inside. I'll say, hey, so-and-so just ran me over. If that's true, it's going to show up, right? It's going to be apparent. I experienced that, right? Well, the gospel's like that. It's true like that. When you believe it, you experience it. And as a believer, you have experienced it if you are a believer. You've seen the gospel clearly, such that you've turned from sin and you're, you're trusting in Jesus and following Jesus. Second, you've received the Spirit, not by doing something, but by believing. And you know you've received the Spirit because the old you is dead. You're not a slave anymore. You can now say no to sin when before you could not. That's because you've received the Spirit who united you to Jesus. Third, in receiving the Spirit, you have received your citizenship. Meditate on how significant it is that you have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside of you so that when someone says, hey, you need to do this to get this, you can say, I've got the Spirit. I've got it all. I don't need what you're trying to sell me. Fourth, you've suffered for Christ because he's worth it to you. Maybe you haven't suffered to the extent that believers in Voice of the Martyrs magazine have suffered But when you told your kids to follow Jesus and they cursed you out or they insulted you or when your friends don't invite you anymore like they did before you knew Christ, that's a degree of suffering and you counted Jesus worth it. He's still worth it, right? And then fifthly, when you're in your right mind, you hate the thought that you've earned anything good from God. So, When you're tempted to forsake Christ, remember what you've experienced from believing the gospel, and that will remind you not to forsake Christ. Now, if you've not yet experienced the gospel, if you haven't yet believed in Jesus and experienced the gospel, don't discount the gospel just because you haven't experienced it, right? If I discounted Psalm 127, what it says about kids, just because I hadn't experienced it yet, I would be missing out on the experience of having joy at hearing my little daughter squeal back there, right? It's true, regardless of if I experienced it or not, and how much more so for the gospel. You believe the gospel not because you experienced it, but because it's true. It's true. The word of God is true. Jesus died for sinners. He rose from the dead. And if you trust him, he will save you. You haven't experienced it yet, but it's true, so believe it. And once you do believe it, you will experience it, and your faith will be stronger for having experienced it. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you that the gospel is true. It's so true that when we believe it, we experience it. It's not this abstract thing floating out on the ether that we write down on a piece of paper and it never changes our lives. No, it is It's as true as a heart attack. When it happens to you, you experience it and you're never the same. Help us, Lord, uh, to be thankful for the gospel. Help us to remember what you've done in us through the gospel so that we keep believing the gospel. And anyone who has not yet experienced it, may you, by your Spirit, cause them to be born again. And may you bring them to faith in Christ. And once they come to faith in Christ, the Spirit will enter into their lives and they'll never be the same again. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.